All right, you all ready? You got your Bibles? Turn to the person next to you and say, God is going to speak to you today. You really need this word. You really need this word. Tell the person next to you, say, this is a revival word. It's a revival word because it's part of the conference. We're going to speak revival. How many of you know we are, I'm just using some old-fashioned drawing, spirit, soul, and body. And so they used to say it in about the 70s, 80s. I am a spirit, I have a soul, and I live in a body. And I mean, yeah, they taught that and taught that and taught that and taught that and taught that. And so, you know, and they were trying to understand it. And I remember learning it and trying to understand it and all this kind of thing. But anyway, it, it serves to help. That's the spirit. That's the soul. And that is the body. So using that language, I am a spirit. I have a soul. And I live in a body. Now, the amazing thing is John says this, that when you're born again, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, your spirit is born again. And uh, it's very interesting because he says, that which is born of God is perfect and does not sin. Is that good? So from your spirit side, you do not sin. Now, just to try and keep it simple, we can try and keep it simple. The Bible often talks about the flesh, the flesh, you know, the old man, the body of flesh. And that's kind of this area here. You know, it's the body and it's the soul thing, you know. But we can actually leave the body out. A lot of your problems or most of your problems or probably all of your problems yourself comes from your soul area. So when you accept Jesus, this gets completely born again. Your sins are forgiven. One of these days, this body is going to be redeemed and it's going to become immortal. Here is the problem, the soul. Because in the soul is the mind and it's the emotions and the will. This is the teaching that we got from the 70s. And so it's that part of us that's got to be renewed. That's the part that is conforming to this world but needs to be transformed into the image of Jesus. And Paul says, by the renewing of the mind. It's very interesting that Peter says the end, the goal, the purpose of your faith is the salvation of your soul. So is everybody with me? So look at the person next to you and say, listen, honey, your soul needs help. Okay. Say it to yourself. Say, my soul Oh, my soul, <laughs> I need help. <laughs> now, it's the soul that's got to get saved. Is that okay? It's your soul. Soul, it's your soul. You know, you hear it in old-fashioned English language. Oh, what a poor soul. You know, he's such an unhappy soul. You know, he's an angry soul. <laughs> and um, the recognition, you know, that it's of the soul. In Christian circles, especially those times where we talk about soulish people, Soul-ish Christians. Another way of talking about those Christians are, or, or that, is, Paul refers to them as being carnal, being immature. In other words, you know, if you were able to stick them under a microscope that was able to go through and look past the skin and the surface and go through to the Spirit, we would observe the Spirit is perfect. But if you look and observe their lives with the natural eye, we would go, oh, my soul, oh, Lordy. Because they would still be behaving like they used to behave. Everybody following me? Okay. So we are all agreed the problem areas with the soul, the soul of the person. So when Christians get born again and they are still, you know, uh, men behaving badly, 
That was pretty good, hey? That was, because that was a, a, a series. Okay, men behaving badly. I'm going to make up my own thing. But, but, but men behaving badly, and Christians behaving badly, it's from the soul area. It's unrenewed. But the spirit is forgiven. So all the holiness issues, all the things that the Bible addresses where we need the change is in this area of the soul. So we're going to go and have a look and turn with me in your Bibles. I'm going to read it in the King James. Then we're going to maybe read it in the NIV. And then we're going to maybe pray the prayer. God spoke to me in my sleep yesterday. I had a nap because I was so tired. And in my sleep, God spoke to me. I got up, I said to Bev, God spoke to me in my sleep. How about that? Isn't that awesome? In my sleep, God spoke to me because I woke up and I knew exactly what I had to preach. Yeah, I didn't intentionally go to sleep. And when I woke up, my neck was sore. And, uh, but in that state, <laughs> in that state, God spoke to me. Clear, one sentence. So I know it's a word for us. So I want us to take this very seriously. That's why I'm saying it's a revival word. Okay? So... From Psalm 120 to a Psalm 134, they are listed as Psalms of degrees or Psalms of ascents. They are also known as pilgrim Psalms. They are also known as the Psalms of steps. Psalms 120 to 134. Various things are said about it. But for me, I like I like the Psalms of degrees because God is changing us by degrees. I like it that it's the Psalm of ascents because God wants us to ascend. I like it that it's the Psalm of the pilgrim because we are on a spiritual pilgrimage. I like the fact that there are Psalms of steps because He wants to order our steps aright and to walk with God. And uh, so only about four of them are written by David. One is by Solomon, and others variously written. But the, the story goes there were three great festivals in Israel, and that was the Passover, and then it was Pentecost, and then it was Tabernacles, variously called, but uh, the Feast of uh, Tabernacles, Pentecost weeks or Pentecost, Tabernacles or Feast of Booths. But these were three annual feasts that every Israelite had to keep. And how many of you know Jerusalem was up on a hill? So as they were walking up, as they were ascending, they would quote these psalms. Song of ascents. So this morning, God wants us to ascend. And what does He want us to do? I believe He's wanting us to ascend out of this into this. Is that okay? So He's wanting us to ascend. So I want to try and make it practical this morning. And uh, so Psalm 131, David says this. He says, Lord... He calls it the psalm of the humble. He says, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Now listen to what he says. Surely I have behaved. Because the person next to you say, I've, I've really behaved. I've behaved. Okay. I'm going to explain that, all right? He says, I've behaved and I've quieted myself 
Is everybody listening? As a child that is weaned of his mother, my soul is even as a weaned child. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. You know, David, it's called an, one of the song, Psalms of Ascents of David. And they say that it was a psalm that David wrote after his coronation, being crowned king. And you know David's heart, uh, we learn it when Michal, his first wife, who was the daughter of Saul, mocked him and scorned him because he danced with such exuberance when the ark was being brought into Jerusalem that he wore a linen ephod and not the kingly garments that a king should wear. He dressed down, in a sense, into just the linen ephod of a priest. But he danced with such exuberance that Michal looked down through the window and she disdained him. You know, she looked down on him with disgust. And when he came into the room, and the Bible clearly says, you know, he blessed the people, men and women. He gave them food and drink and sent them back after the great rejoicing because the presence of God was back. And Michal just spoke, you know, disparagingly against him. And he was coming home to bless his house, the Bible says. And then she said, oh, you know, how the king is, you know, you made such a spectacle of yourself, you know. And uh, oh, dancing like half naked, you know. Well, he wasn't. He had a ephod on. But with such exuberance. And he said, basically, in, in simple words, he said, and I would make myself even more um, abased. I would humble myself even more before God. And the Bible says that from that day forward, Michal was barren and she never, ever had children because of her judgment of the love and the rejoicing that David had before God, despised him. And so right here we see the heart of a man who is rejoicing so much that to have the presence of God back, that he would humble himself. And then out of that, he writes this psalm of ascents. And he says, Lord, you know my heart. I'm not proud. My eyes are not not lofty. I'm not arrogant. God, I don't understand how I got to this position. It's not because of my giftedness or my talent. God, I recognize this is you. And so David writes this psalm, and, and so he then goes on because he's recognized something through all of his life of preparation and even subsequent to his coronation. You know, when Saul in fact, subsequent to his anointing before he was crowned king. Remember how Saul persecuted him because he recognized the anointing was on this man and the spirit had left him. And he, he recognizes this. He's anointed as king and the spirit is on him and Saul becomes exceedingly jealous of him, tries to pin him against all the spear. Do you know that the persecution of Saul toward David was 10 years? Ten years he was pursued. Ten years he had to flee like a dog. Ten years he was misunderstood. Ten years he ended up, he had to go and join the enemy's camp. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know the one they sang about? Saul has slain his thousand, David his tens of thousands because he killed the Philistines. He ends up going to the Philistines because the people of God are persecuting him so much. You know? And so he's, he's with the Philistines. But he still would not touch the Lord's anointed. He's smitten in his conscience when he just cuts off the corner of Saul's robe. I mean, because he lifted his hands against the Lord's anointed. 
David understood something that if I'm to get somewhere, it's going to be God. Is that okay? If it's going to be, if that prophetic word is to come to pass, I don't have to, you know, leave a pile of bodies on climbing my way up. You know, I don't have to ascend stepping on people's lives. I will ascend and it will be something God does. And so he says, God, there's no pride in my heart. He says, my eyes are not lofty. I'm not looking to a position that is up there to lord it over people. And that's why it reflects his heart when he says to Michael, I would humble myself even more. I would do even more to humble myself before God. So he continues with the psalm and he says in the psalm, you know, besides not having this haughty, arrogant look, he says, I do not exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. He talks about, we'll come to it now. But he says, surely I've behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. And yesterday, in my sleep, God spoke to me and he said, John, your soul must be weaned. That's when I woke up. Your soul must be weaned. So there's a couple of things that David says. We, we're gonna, is that okay? We'll count it. I did prepare, but so number one, pride. So I'm going to put it there and then just leave that there. And I'm going to come back to it, but I'm going to just go around a little bit. He said, my soul is weaned. The word weaned there means that it's like, it's kind of like a field that's been plowed and harrowed and smoothed over. It's even and it's consistent. It's smooth. There's no lumps and rocks and clogs and all sorts of things in it. It's the same as um, a calm sea. You know, a great calm fell on the sea. There's no waves. There's no ripples. There's wind, no wind. It's just when that sea goes flat and calm. David says, my soul, my soul has gone calm. My soul is calmed. He said it's calmed like a weaned child. Like a child that has been weaned, so is my soul. In other words, it's not demanding. When he says, one translation says, my soul is is even as a wind child, one translator says, my soul is resting on me. Like a child that has been weaned. He doesn't want food. He doesn't need food. He's been weaned off the breath. He's just laying on his mother and he is at rest. He is at peace. Is that okay? And so a weaned soul is a soul that is at rest. And that's what, some of the things that I want to talk about. Listen, your soul is very needy. Your soul is demanding. Is that right? Your soul, tell the person next to you, your soul's got issues. So your soul's got issues, you know? And so it's out of that area. And so the first thing that David speaks about, you know, I'm here, I'm in my destiny. This is the thing that was prophesied. I'm the king. And, but you know, there's no pride inside of me. My soul has been weaned. Listen, listen, church. I, I, a precious brother in the ministry, we had some time together last week, and, and we just shared. And uh, he was just asking me questions about ministry and all kinds of things. And we sat down and shared, and uh, he phoned me this week that 
one of the things that I said would happen, you know, basically happened, <laughs> and, and it presented itself. And he phoned me with great excitement. And then he said something to me. And um, it really reflects a lot of this, that when he shared, he said, John, after our conversation, after the conversation you and I had, he said, I went and locked myself in the room for prayer for a couple of hours. Because he said, after speaking to you, and you shared with me, he said, the wisdom that you shared, I realized that I did not have what was required for me to be in the ministry to the level that God is revealing. I suddenly realized I was short and I needed that wisdom. And he said, I spent time with God saying, whatever gifting, whatever wisdom, whatever it is that I don't have, where you're taking me, God, would you give it to me? And so it was humble of him. That was humility to even say that. Because, you know, us men, we don't like to say those kind of things, you know. You know, we like, I got it all together. But I think sometimes the ladies are like that as well, I think. But it's like, David says there's no arrogance. There's no, no whatever. You see, a prideful heart is a self heart. It's an independent heart. It's a heart that, you know, I can do it and I did it and all this kind of thing. It's a heart that doesn't acknowledge God. It's very interesting, but Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians. Uh, pride vaunteth not itself. Really good old-fashioned word. And it, you find it right throughout the Bible. The people vaunted themselves, V-A-U-N-T. And that was, you know, to be boastful, to speak proud words. So he said love is not boastful. It's not arrogant. And the thing about pride is the sole issue. Humility is a spiritual issue. It's very interesting that humility comes from the spirit. Pride comes from the soul, from the flesh side of things. Pride is tiresome. Pride is wearying. Pride is a heavy taskmaster. Pride comes before a fall. Pride. Biblical humility is not uh, making yourself bad and feeling bad, and it's not bashing yourself up. It's not um, self-depreciation. No, humility is a correct perspective of yourself. It's a healthy view. Basically, biblical humility is this. I know who I am, but I know who God is. And I know who I am in relation to God. And that's biblical humility. And so that humility is not weakness. That humility is not, you know, your spirit is broken. No, 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 it's intact, you know. But humility is recognizing who you are with all your giftings and all your strengths, but with all your faults and all your weaknesses. You have a healthy view of yourself, and especially in the light of who God is and what He's made of you. And so there's two verses in the Bible that for me holds that whole thing in dynamic tension, where He says, without me you can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And there, right there, those two verses brings us into a healthy balance of what humility is. That's why David calls this psalm a psalm for the humble, because the humble is sent, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Is that okay? And so he says, my soul is weaned. My soul is weaned from my need to be proudful. My soul is weaned of that. I have no need for pride. I have no need. I have no need for arrogance. I have no need to boast. Because I know where I am, 
is where God brought me to. So there's many scriptures in the Bible that talk about promotion comes neither from the east nor the west, but promotion comes from the hand of God. He puts down and he raises up. Amen? And so we can go through the word over and over. Are you getting something from this? You see, God wants hearts, souls, souls that are weaned. In other words, there's, I have no need for that. I have no need for pride. And of course, there's a whole lot of things that go with it. So the first thing is pride. My soul is weaned of pride. You know, I said it in church one day, and I got into a lot of trouble many years ago. And I said, people who are self-conscious think everybody's looking at them. Think everybody, touchy-sensitive, over-sensitive. Everybody's looking at them. You remember like the first time you were in one of those happy, clappy churches, and they're all raising their hands, and then you start raising your hands, and you're thinking, oh, what will everyone think? Well, nobody's looking at you. You're not that important. I mean, they, everybody's here for Jesus. I mean, why would they be looking at you see if you're raising your hands? You know, okay, well, that doesn't go down well with some people, but never mind, let's move on. I don't want to upset you. But it, I, I talked about inverted pride. And inverted pride is where, where you think you're so important, everyone's going to talk about you. No, there's probably much more exciting subjects than you. I'm just saying it to be funny. I mean, you're important and you're wonderful and I love you. You, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, who's going to look at you when you've got your hands in there? The whole church doesn't go, oh, they got their hands. <laughs> I know because I was there. I, I was speaking out of experience. Inverted pride is self-consciousness because it's still the self-life. It's still about me. You know, it's very interesting in the Bible that the Bible talks about pride as being idolatry, amongst other things. Idolatry. Because you become an idol in your life. And so there's inverted pride. There's inverted pride. But a weaned soul, a weaned soul, is not a self-conscious soul. Doesn't need all the attention. Okay. I said this is a revival message. Everybody say revival. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah, God is preparing us for revival. So there's no inverted pride. There's no pride overt. There's no pride inverted. There's nothing like that. You know, David was so amazing that even when Absalom, his son, you know, uh, took the throne by force and he had to run, he was quite happy with the fact. And he was going like, okay, well, I just leave it to God. He didn't go and try and kill his son. He didn't go and try and get his throne back. And even when he was leaving Jerusalem, there was a man by the name of Shimei, which, and he ran on the ridge of the ravine that was next to him, and he was kicking dirt on them and speaking curses. And one of his mighty men there, you know those mighty men. Have you ever read about those mighty men? One of his mighty men is going, oh, dude, I'm going to stick the spear through him. And David's going to leave him. Maybe he's right. Maybe I am arrogant. Maybe I have been wicked. Just leave him to God. A soul that is weaned doesn't have to defend itself. Soul that is weaned. Come on, church, listen to me. God spoke to me about me, okay? Now I'm whipping you. I mean, blessing you. <clears throat> so a soul that is weaned doesn't have to defend itself. Bev will tell you the thing that I think that she probably hates the most about me is self-justification. Justifying yourself is so ugly. It's just better to say, I'm sorry even if you're not wrong, which I never am. <laughs> she said, you, I am most of the time. Self-justification. 
A soul that is weaned doesn't need to justify itself. A soul that is weaned doesn't need to defend. A soul that is weaned doesn't have those needs. Is that okay? He said, my soul is quiet. It's quiet. It's quiet. So David talks about it. I think it's Psalm 45 where he says, Oh, my soul, why are you so, some translations say downcast, some translations say so disturbed, other translations say, why are you so disquieted within me? Is your soul disquieted? Disquieted soul. If it's a disquieted soul, it's not a soul that's been weaned of its needs. Because your soul has one need, and that need is Jesus. That's the only need your soul has. So is it disquieted inside of you? And he says, put your hope in God. We'll come to some of these things. But the second thing David talks about is ambition. He talks about ambition. He says, I haven't mattered myself and concerned myself in the first verse with things that are too high for me, too lofty for me. In other words, he was saying, God, I didn't get to this position by ambition. I didn't, you know, maneuver. I didn't get into the politicking side of things. You know, I didn't spruce up the CV to make myself someone I'm not. You know, I didn't, I didn't do it that way. God, you put me in this position. You know that I didn't maneuver. I didn't drop hints. I didn't build a network of relationships to get there. God, you anointed me for this place. So, you know, a weaned soul is a soul that can be promoted by God. A weaned soul. So some of the results, a weaned soul can be promoted by God because God will get the glory. So those are some of the benefits. A weaned soul is a soul at peace. I'm running ahead of myself. I'm just writing it before I forget. Because he said, like a child that is weaned, so is my soul. It's a quieted soul. It's not a demanding soul. How many of you have heard this? And maybe some of you have experienced it. They talk about people who are driven. You know? And all that driving, that drivenness comes out of your soul because it has a need. It needs something. Okay? So ambition is one of those things. Ambition is good. You know? And healthy self-view is good. But it mustn't go to pride. Ambition is good. But it mustn't come to a place where you're ambitious at all costs. You know, God is good. God can do it. God is able. But I want to, um, this morning, I'm pastoring your souls. I want to speak peace to your soul, to that soul area that drives you. You know, for many years, uh, this morning, if it was however many, 20, 25 years ago, basically, if I looked at all of you sitting over here, you would be here because I had a great need. And that need was the approval of a father. The approval of a father. And a father who was overly strict, who couldn't give me encouragement, who couldn't say, well done, John, or anything like this, who wanted the best from me, and out of his own, you know, because of the way he was brought up, you know, coming first in class was not good enough. I would get a, a beating with a, with a stick, you know, whack with a stick, and I was told to do better, even though it was a glowing report. Teachers said it was the highest marks they'd ever had from any student ever. My dad would whack me, and he wouldn't say, well done, John, I'm proud of you. It was like, next time, do better. And that put me on a performance track. That put me on a place where my soul had needs. So I used to come in and pray in the church eight hours, you know, 40 hours a week, eight hours a day, praying 
uh, memorizing scriptures. I, I was benefited out of it, but the motivation was I was trying to get a well done, you are awesome boy. Wow, that's really excellent. Until I realized that I had that with the Lord, but my soul was disquieted. It was motivating me, or not even motivating, it was driving me. And when we are driven, listen, your soul can be a relentless, hard taskmaster, and nothing is enough. It doesn't matter how hard you try. My dad was long out of the picture. And possibly if he was alive today, he would be very different because he would have grown and matured. But I would have still been in a place, and I can't blame him because I have to take accountability for my own life. You can't keep on blaming. We're all grown-ups here. It comes to a point where we have to take accountability and recognize. And David was saying, there's nothing in me that is driving me like a taskmaster. My soul is so at rest. It's weaned of all its demands. Look at the person he's and say, this is a good sermon. This is a good teaching. It's a good teaching. Amen. I think it is. Anyway, you know, I'm preaching to myself. So um, pride and, and ambition, that drivenness inside of you, it's disquieted. It's really amazing how very often when your soul is disquieted, you can never get enough recognition. It's like, don't they see all I do? You know, doesn't Pastor John appreciate all that I've given to the church? No, no, I do. But you know, I, I'm not God. So I can only give you so much. You know, I can only say thank you so many times. But there's a need for recognition. There's a need for acceptance. There's a need, a deep need to belong. And all of those things are good. We need to recognize. We need to appreciate. But there's only so much that we can say and do. But if your soul is demanding it, it's disquieted, and you need to get with God. So David says, so I'm just saying it with all of these. David says, this is a revival message. This is a revival message. So David says, I have behaved myself and quieted myself. So what David means when he says, I have behaved myself, he basically means that he hasn't misbehaved. No, no, when he says, I have behaved myself. It means I have become equal to being quiet. I have become equal to being still. I have become equal to that little wean child that's not demanding anything. I have become quiet in my heart. I think there's a healthy place for a disconnect from ourselves. You know, we can take ourselves too seriously and be too self-aware. You know, oh, gosh, I'm tired. Oh, gosh, I'm hungry. Oh, gosh, I'm like this. Gosh, I'm like this. You would never serve God if you listened to this all the time. You wouldn't go to work. You wouldn't do anything. You wouldn't get out of bed this morning if you listened to your flesh. Is that okay? If you listened to your soul, you wouldn't have gone out of bed. But there's a healthy connect with yourself. A healthy awareness. Why do I feel this way? Why am I reacting this way? Why am I behaving this way? Not, you know, uh, unhealthy introspection, but a healthy connect to understand and being in touch with yourself enough to know, listen, the way I'm acting now is a bit out of control. 
so, so how, how many of you have ever, is it just me? This is my message, is it for me? You spectating, I'm preaching to myself. I will change. I'll be a different man next week. Okay. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. But there needs to be a healthy connect, but enough of a disconnect. There needs to be a healthy awareness. Yeah, I know I am like this. But why am I doing this? David was saying, I've checked. I've had a healthy enough connect with myself. And, hey, I'm not proud. I know this is God. I'm not ambitious. I'm here because of the prophetic word, because of the anointing. God did this. I didn't misbehave when Absalom took the throne. I didn't misbehave when Saul and his son Ishbosheth were still ruling. I didn't misbehave when Shimei cursed me. I didn't misbehave. I quieted, quieted my soul. It's two occasions. One was after Shimei. The other time was when he was with the Philistines and him and his men, their wives and all the goods and the children, everything were taken. And it says, and David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And then just after Shimei, he said, and David refreshed himself in the Lord. You see, what he did was he visited with himself and he addressed his soul because he was a man like us and his soul was putting demands on him. You know, you know, you can just send one of the mighty men, just take his head off. <laughs> Just sort him out, string him up, cut and drawn and quarter and send the bits out all over the country. They would have done it. But that would have been appeasing a disquieted soul. But he was in control enough of his soul to behave, to equal himself to quiet before God. Okay, turn, tell the person behind you, this is really now for you now. For you. All right. So the third thing is acceptance and approval. Where did I find that? Different places in the Bible, so you have to trust me. You know, it's how you tell the story, how you relate it afterwards, where you're the hero, you know? In church circles, in ministry, you'll be like, when I sang, the glory fell. When I played, the power of God hit the place. When I gave, everybody got the breakthrough. When I preached, God walked into the building. No, he was here before you preached. You know, I prayed. Well, there's been a lot of people praying. Do you know how many, know, you know how many years I've been here? Praying. So I appreciate you praying, but it wasn't just your prayers. When I prophesied to them, well, you might have been the 10th person in the line. You know, God's been speaking to them. Okay, it's getting very quiet now. Now it's getting very quiet. Now I'm seriously getting worried, eh? When I, when I, when I, when I. And a lot of that is the sole demand because I need recognition. I need acceptance. We need to make sure that we're presenting correctly and not out of a soul that is disquieted because in the process of, you know, God working that I'm trying to get something out of this. I walked into, I'm still doing ongoing physio, after tearing my bicep. So um, I walked in and I noticed the therapist was sort of very different, very down. And I walked in and I said, are you okay? And um, she was just sharing with me that her, her dad just passed away last week. But just the whole story was just really sad because he remarried and, and basically connected more to the other side of the family and, and all his inheritance, everything was spent on all them. And yeah, the kids have got nothing left. And all this kind of thing. They took over the funeral proceedings and everything. And they left out of it. And all this kind of thing. And just going like, what? 
And I said, are you going to the funeral? She said, no. So I said, why not? She said, because I just can't go and sit there and hear them. The whole funeral will be about their loss. Be nothing about my dad. Be how sad they are. But what about us? She said, I just couldn't, I can't deal with it. So she didn't go to the funeral. She said, because, but that's disquieted souls where this situation, I'm going to extract everything out of the situation because my soul has got needs. Okay, moving on because that didn't go down well. Let's move on. <clears throat> Disquieted souls. Acceptance, approval, recognition. You know, there's good old-fashioned Bible language for a lot of these things where Jesus said to the disciples, when you get invited to a meal, take the lowest seat. Because it's better to be invited up closer to the host than say, <clears throat> excuse me, you're sitting in someone else's seat. Go and sit down there. Uh, red face. <laughs> down to the end. He says, go and sit. Take the humble place. And then get invited up. You know, this must come into our language. Not like, all right, <clears throat> I'm in this place. Let's get the show on the road. Where's my seat? Oh, right down here in the front. <laughs> you know? Yep. You won't believe how many ministers and pastors do that at Christmas. Oh, no. Oh, Jesus, help us, you know? Okay, let's move on. I don't want to skinner about pastura. Is that okay? I'd rather skinner about... No, never mind. There's good Bible language. Take the lowest and then be promoted. Don't fight and don't strive. Don't do things for recognition, you know? I mean, I was talking to someone this week about this person that I wanted to invite into this church and and it was all set up and everything. And then God just spoke to me and I just canceled, I changed it, you know. And I'm just like, no, no, no. Then I was hearing this week that one of the things that he does, he makes an entrance. And he always comes in, big grand entrance, in the middle of the worship. I said, hey, hey, I thank you, Jesus. I heard right. That worship belongs to Jesus. What right does he have to make an entrance in worship when we are worshiping God? No, 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 no. Take the low route, you know. Take the low route. Rather serve than be served. So recognition, acceptance, approval. I've spoken about that. It's amazing that as adults, kids are so honest, children are so honest, they don't even realize how honest they're being. You know, Amy's two little kids, Noah, is growing up, and uh, he's not so marvelous and so dependent and things like this. So we can carry him and hold him a bit, you know, but, but Eli's been the shiner, you know, he's the first and he's at that age and he's like, Pa John, you know, and all this kind of thing. And uh, so he gets a lot of our attention. But now when we go there, you know, hello, Eli, my boy, how are you? And how are you, Noah? And pick up Noah and hug Noah. And then uh, just yesterday we were there and, and um, Kevin says, watch how he likes us. And he takes the tail end of his little, a buddy cloth that he carries around and he tickles his cheek and his neck and Noah's, ooh, you know, and uh, so Eli comes and says, watch me, Pa John, Dad, you know, <laughs> and, then, and then Kevin's got to tickle his face. It's like, hey, woo, I'm missing out on some attention. But how many know that that's a child? How many know that sometimes we? It's like, and then why is God blessing them? And why are they getting, why did God give them the car? And why did God give them the job? Hey, God, tickle my face too, please, with my buddy. Okay, okay. See, tell the person that you see, I told you this was for you now. Yeah, it's like, wah, wah. 
you know. I don't understand it. I've been serving the Lord for so many years, and they just got saved, and they come in, and now God's falling off his throne to bless them. Yeah, it was to offend your offended heart and mind. Yeah, to show you what was inside of you. So let me just tickle his face with a buddy. Is that nice? Oh, me too. Ah, oh, gotcha. We don't realize how transparent and actually honest we're being. We just, you know, we just make it into adult behavior. Yeah, we get all offended. Hmm. Do you know how much I've given and how much I've sown? Okay, let's just let it sit a bit. Let's sit because that hit home. Let's let it sit a bit. No, okay, let's, no, let's move on. And so it's those soul needs. Do you know that there's nothing like this next one to reveal the needs of our soul? <laughs> Tough times, hard times. The money's dried up. The promotions are not coming. There's no jobs. It's difficult, the economy. It's nothing like tough times to reveal the neediness of your soul or how disquieted your soul can become or actually how unweaned the soul is. This is not a bash you. I'm just sharing me, what God spoke to me about me. Okay, so I'm not bashing you. But the thing is, there's nothing like tough times. And it's amazing that this verse came into my mind. And when I looked at it, I saw... It in its context, and I, it's just amazing. And I was like, oh, wowza. I didn't realize it was all there. Now go to the very clean part of your Bible, the very clean pages. Lamentations. The book of Lamentations. If you go to the book of Lamentations, it's, it's Lamentations chapter 3. And in Lamentations chapter 3, in Afrikaans, it's Lamentasis or something like that. Hail, uh, crying, I don't know, lamentations. What is it in Afrikaans? Claw lidera, because he had a claw. You see, I was not far wrong. Yeah, yeah, claw lidera, because he, he was clawing onto the Lord. Yeah, lamentation, I'm weeping. You know, it's, it's the great prophet Jeremiah said, oh, that my head were a fountain and you would open up my tears and I would cry rivers, because he was weeping over. But lamentations, chapter 3, from verse 19. But um, he says, they were. Remembering my affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall. It sounds really bad. I don't know if you've ever had natural medicine that's got wormwood in it. it yeah, it affects your gallbladder. That's why I think. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> it's disgusting stuff. All right, verse 20. In other words, remembering my hard times, listen to this. My soul hath still in remembrance and is humbled inside of me. And why would it have that effect on him of humbling him? Because verse just keep going. Verse 21 says, this I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. Now that's a really important word. Verse 22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassion fail not. His mercies are new every morning. Verse 20, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Hold that verse. Hold it right there. Great is thy faithfulness. You know, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. Therefore, I will have hope. And so, Jeremiah was saying, when I remember my afflictions, my heart is humbled inside of me. It doesn't become needy. It doesn't become demanding because I've worked through that thing. And what I do remember about the difficult times is God's mercies and God's faithfulness. Amen. 
And I realized that His mercies are new every single morning, every single day. Every time the sun comes up, you've got new mercies available. Every time the sun comes up, new mercies available. It doesn't matter if you blew it the day before. When the sun comes up, woo you've got new mercies. Because God is so faithful. Is that all right? How many of you know that God takes his own advice? So if he says, you know, don't be angry while the sun is going down. In other words, you know, sort it out, deal with it, get it over with, and then let the sun set and then wake up tomorrow morning, great. Because that's the way he is, you know. And it's like, so when the sun comes up, he goes, oh, gosh, my mercy is on you every morning. Amen. He can be faithful all over again. So when that sun comes up, it's a new day in every sense of the word. Amen. And so in verse 24, he continues and he says, The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore, I will have hope in him. This sounds more like a counseling session, hey? Okay. It is. He says, The Lord is my portion. Which tells me this. Have you ever heard the saying, you know, when it's been tough, you've had a hard day, You've been really good on your diet for three hours. What you need is some soul food. Have you ever heard about soul music? Soul food. Now, soul food would be different to different people, but it invariably runs around ice cream, chocolate, you know, nice something, whatever. Something just really nice. You know, in winter, just in that nice thing of hot soup with a lacquer piece of bread and you dunk it and eat and drink it. And it's just like, it's just like, it's all physical, but it's almost like it, it ministers to my soul. <laughs> this is so awesome. This like, you know, <laughs> counseling in a cup. <laughs> oh, I feel better already. <laughs> Soul things, cold winter's day, nice flaming fire, nice warm blanket, you know, nice movie, you know, sad people falling in love and out of love and dying and all that kind of things. Oh. <laughs> you know, guys is like rugby, tackle him, dokeom, slanom. I feel better now. You know, soul, soul therapy, soul. David says, <laughs> the point that I wanted to bring is this, in reality, there's only one thing that your soul really craves and needs, and it's the Lord. Really. So many places. This kind of a, a teaching has got a massive context to it, but I can't give it all. And that is, thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. You know, they that love his law are in peace. And so the more of him we get, the happier, the less disquieted, the more behaved the soul is. The less demands it puts. Because it suddenly starts to discover something. And I, one of the things that I discovered many, many years ago, many years ago, I, I was fasting and praying and waiting on God and, and stuff like this. I mean, and how many of you know there's that time of the day or that time of the night you get the nibbles or the munchies? You know that? Yeah, the midnight thing. And the worst thing is, it kind of flares up when you've decided to diet and cut back. That munchy time. Yes, yeah, the worst time, you know. And it's like you go to the fridge, open the fridge, and remind yourself you're on diet. You know, you go to the drawer and pull it out, and you realize, I'm not supposed to have chocolates. Open the fridge, and there's a nice little buddy bottle Coke in glass bottle. Oh, Jesus. 
One time I was in this time of fasting and praying. I had the munchies. And I, but everything I looked at, I didn't want. And it was the umpteenth time, and I closed the door, and just clearly the Lord spoke to me. He said, the thing that you're hungry for, you won't find in cupboards or fridges. I said, I said, Lord, what are you? And he said, you're hungry for me, for my presence. Up to the church here, just in the presence of God. And there was a nourishment. There was a quietness. There was a satisfaction because my soul is hungry after those things. I mean, many verses now come to your mind where you think about, you know, taste and see that the Lord is good and all of those kinds of things. Man shall live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Listen, as Christians, we're as guilty as the world in trying to pander to the soul instead of quietening it and bringing it to peace and rest in the presence of God. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Good? Tough times. Tough times. Finish it. Let's go to verse 26. And then he says, in verse 25, 26, The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him, to the soul that seeketh Him. The Lord is good. It's not a coincidence that He uses the word soul. Okay? Verse 26, it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. That is the description of the weaned soul. Doesn't fret, doesn't get anxious. God, I don't understand it, but the application has been delayed. God, I don't understand it. Why haven't they promoted me? God, I don't understand it. Where is the breakthrough? Quieten the soul and wait for God. Don't let it start dictating to you. Don't let it start putting you on a treadmill of performance. Don't let it start driving you off of your peace. Get to a place where you can quieten your soul because when you quieten that storm, invariably, that's when everything comes. And you know, you, you know life is full of things. There's losses. There's tragedies. There's all kinds of things. Basically, same things apply if we can still our soul. Tough times. And then I think, lastly, life changes. Life changes. Changes in life. Very often life changes give us a whole different context to things. You know, your kids grow up and leave the home. <laughs> yep, you do. Life changes. You know, they talk about the empty nest syndrome. They talk about all these kinds of things. There's the letting go. There's, you know, letting go of relationships. There's all kinds of things. Job changes. There's all kinds of things that are life changes. Health. You know, you, you discover your body let you down. It's not immortal. It's not, you know, it's mortal. It's not immortal. Different things that you go through. There can come a disquiet in your soul. You can lose a perspective, you know. You can lose something. And it's in those times that they're quieting the soul and trusting in God. Um, I will never forget Bev's sister and brother-in-law were going through a very sad divorce, and she came to stay, and, and I'm always up early in the morning. That morning, I was, it was particularly early, because I figure if I can't sleep, I might as well get up and do something, you know? So its point is laying there. <laughs> it's only so long you can pray in tongues, you know, quietly. So I, I figure, you know, I, you know, I'll get frustrated, and then I'll frustrate Bev, and then <clears throat> her soul will be disquieted. 
No, I'm just teasing. And I got up and I walked past the spare room and I heard, I heard the sobbing and crying. So I just lightly knocked on the door and I went in and Bev's sister was sitting on her bed just weeping. She couldn't believe what was happening to her. And uh, I, I put my arms around her and I just held her for a while and just spoke to her. And uh, as we spoke, I eventually got up and called Bev and the two of them sat together. But as we spoke, she said something. She's very wise. She said something. In the midst of all of that pain, she said, I've just figured that I'm going to have to blossom where I'm planted. That's a quieted soul because that can torment you. She said, I, I, I'm going to blossom where I'm planted. This is the planting that I'm going to blossom. And I, I really, you know, my observation was that there really came a change at that time. Because you can be at the dictates of the demands of your soul, emotional and otherwise, and then you, you become like a rudderless ship, a ship with sails and no rudders in, in a wind on a sea, and you're driven here and there and everywhere because emotions, emotions have got no direction. Emotions will torment. So it's quietening your soul. Changes in life. You know, when the status quo changes, we're in a country where things are changing rapidly all the time, every day. Quieten your soul. Quieten your soul. Put your hope in God. All right, so I'm going to bring it to a conclusion because I think I've said enough, and you guys are all very bright and smart, and many of you are preaching your own messages. But through life changes, when God weans you, all of this stuff here, all of that stuff, He's weaning you to maturity. Obviously, the promotion, the peace, God being your portion, uh, there's just a whole lot of things. You can put maturity there, but you can add it to this however you want your sermon to look, your message to look. But He's weaning us to maturity. He's weaning us to, and I'm going to say it, and you've got to get it in the right sense of the word, independence. We are always dependent on the Lord. Always. Always. So I don't want it to sound like a contradiction. But we need to be independent of the things that drive us normally as human beings. We need to be independent of those things. We need to be free, free enough of our own emotional stuff that we can serve God. Is that an okay thing? And we need to be independent of influences. Because if your soul is disquieted, it will always react to the same stimulus. It will always react to the same circumstances. It will always react to the same situations. It will always react instead of acting. It will always react. So when that kind of person, you know the one that really irritates you, that kind of person comes into your, you know, into your area, your, your vicinity, you're immediately in reaction because they remind you of you know, that particular statement, you know, oh, it always gets my goat. No, it disquietens your soul. That same thing. And, they, and they, when they said that, well, I just lost it, you know. <laughs> well, God will always make sure there's someone to say that. Because what he wants to do is to heal that. So you can stand. Woo-hoo. Amen. And the next time you sta- they say that or they do that thing. You know, whenever they do that, then you don't react. You act and you go like, oh my gosh, something's changed inside of me. Your soul 
It's quiet. It's weaned off of that. And it's put its hope in God, and, and He is your portion. So all of that is maturity. It's independence. And that's why I said it's very much to do with revival. When these things are dealt with, you can well and truly operate in love and overflow. God uses wounded people, and He's using us all the time, and we're wounded at best. But um, the more we heal, the more we're able to stand, the more He can flow through us, the more perfect the gift is, because I don't need to get something in the process of it moving. Is that okay? I can prophesy to you without, you know, feeling important. And like, wow, I've done it. Because it's just out of a pure heart of love. So it comes through un, un, um, pure. It, it, it's not affected. It's not a muddy stream that comes through. You know, where I'm loving you with the hope that you will love me. You know, I, I'm bringing you such a good word in the hope that somehow maybe some of you will come back and say, Pastor John, what an awesome word. And it just feeds that thing because I'm still looking for a dad's pat on the back. Comes out pure. This is too deep, isn't it? Is this okay? It's okay. Because the Lord wants to wean our soul. He wants to help us to wean our souls and quiet it. Where my soul can lie on me at rest. And it doesn't have all these clamoring needs. So we're going to pray this prayer. and We're going to read Psalm 131 in the NIV Bible. You know, when David finishes ministering this, you know, one of, one of the other reasons why he wants our, wants our souls weaned and quieted because God wants to release you to promotion. Many of us, what we're in and what we're enjoying is good, but good can sometimes be the thief of the best. And God's got something better. But because of your soul needs, you're holding onto the current, onto the present, because you're familiar with it. This animal I know. Okay? But God wants to take you onto something else, something better, but you have to let go. Don't cling tenaciously because out of this I'm getting my recognition. Out of this I'm getting this. No, no, no. Let go and trust God. So let's pray it. So all of Asia, we say, My heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Verse 3. O Israel, brothers and sisters of ACF, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. So by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, by the authority of God and God's word, I address our souls. And I say, be at peace. Be weaned. Be still. Be quiet. So, put your hope in God. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. I prophesy that when you come into rest... God can move. Isaiah discovered it when he said, those who wait 
with weaned souls on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall rise up on wings as an eagle. Run and not go where we walk and not faint. So, Father, I bless your people this morning. This is a word of revival. It's preparing us for the conference. It's preparing us for what you want to impart to us. Lord, we want to be spiritual, not soulish or fleshly. We want to be mature, not immature. We want to be compliant and complicit. Your word says, your eyes range to and fro over the whole earth, looking to show yourself mighty, strong, on behalf of those who, and one translation says, whose hearts are fully committed to you. In other words, whose hearts are weaned. And at peace. You want to show yourself strong. Lord, it's in that place of, if there's things to do, we, have to, we do it. We, we, we're not like those who sit on our bums and expect you to do it at all. But, but in that activity, there's a rest. In doing what's required, there's a peace. Where we, it's not the dictate, it's not the demands of a soul, but it's a soul at rest that's waiting, that's weaned. Waiting on God. We're not trying to get approval and recognition out of each other to meet a need. Deep needs it in us. Between husbands and wives or in this body or, or whatever. We don't serve to get recognition. We serve because we love. We don't do because it's going to be done for us. No, no, no. We do because we love. We, we give our lives as a ransom. Father, I thank you for a great healing upon us, upon me, I'm, I'm, because you spoke it to me. I'm, I'm praying for myself. Lord, mature, coming to the full perfection of Christ. The end of my faith is the salvation of my soul. In Jesus' name. So, Lord, there's many people here with pressing matters where life has changed, where it's difficult. God, the picture that comes to my mind is when you calmed the storm. That peace in their souls, in Jesus' name. We all agreed, said, Amen. Amen.